Welcome to The Quality Horizon, a podcast produced by the IAQG for the IAQG. Greetings, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Susan Matson, and with me today are Tim Lee and Daryl Taylor. Tim is with the Boeing Company, where he is the Associate Technical Fellow and Supply Quality Specialist. Additionally, Tim is very active in the IAQG and AAQG. His participation includes supporting the 9100 Quality Management System Approval, Certification, and Oversight, being the chair of the America Certification Oversight Team, acting as voting member of the IAQG Certification Oversight Team, being the IAQG International Accreditation Forum Representative, as well as the International Document Representative for the 9104-1 AS&D QMS Certification Requirements. Daryl comes to us today with over 40 years experience in the quality field. A recent retiree from Raytheon Technologies, he was the Corporate Director of Quality Management Systems, and has also contributed to various activities within the AAQG and IAQG over the years, including being the former AAQG RMC chair, member of the 9104-1 writing team, a former America's document representative. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have to say that was a long list of work that you've done to progress the IAQG mission. And on behalf of everyone at IAQG, thank you for sharing your expertise. So today's topic, however, is all about change and specifically changes to the 9104-1 and the introduction of the OCAP tool. So Tim, my first question is to you. For those who are listening and are slightly unfamiliar with the 9104 series, can you tell us what it is and generally speaking, what's the purpose of the 9104-1? Well, thank you very much. And let me start by saying it's my honor and privilege to be here today and greatly appreciate Daryl's contributions. And as Daryl will attest, uh, this is a long journey. It's a long journey of change and a number of years went into uh, updating this very important standard in our uh, trilogy of standards to ensure that we do have a robust, valued, and compliant uh, system of certification across the aviation space and defense industry. So very proud of that. And, and a lot of people behind Daryl and I, they're working very hard to make sure that happens. But back to your question, because it is important to set the stage, if you will, and clearly understand how we manage our certification scheme and manage the oversight of that to ensure that it is compliant. Uh, We have a trilogy of standards. We have three standards with the 9104-1 being the top of the trilogy, if you will, that is the baseline of requirements. It's requirements for our approval of of accreditation bodies, how we manage oversight and manage the committees in the three IAQG sectors, uh, not only in the Americas, where Darren and I am from, but also in our European theater and the Asia Pacific sector. So the very top level document is the dash one that contains the requirements for aviation space and defense uh, quality management systems uh, certification of our three standards, the 9100 standard for design and manufacturers, the 9120 standard for distributors, as well as 9110 is focused on our maintenance, repair, and overhaul uh, criteria and suppliers. So having that top level dash one standard sets the stage, but we also support it by two additional standards that are very important. So in order to have a robust scheme, you need to have skilled, competent, qualified auditors and training providers. And that criteria is defined within our 9104-3 standard. Uh, Then of course, it's holding uh, ourselves as well as all the stakeholders in our very critical community to 
to conformance, and that's done through an oversight process that's defined within 9104-2. So setting the stage is very important to understand that trilogy. One last piece that's key to understanding our requirements. Uh, we used to use the term ISO as supplemented by aviation space and defense unique requirements. That still holds true in certification because we utilize the ISO criteria, ISO 17021-1, for example, as well as the International Accreditation Forum mandatory documents to establish our baseline. That's the baseline criteria. And we use this term, and Daryl's very familiar with it, what would ISO do, right? Because that is our baseline and where we start. And then we supplement that by unique requirements that are key to the industry that we work in. And and we supplement that through the dash one. So again, that's the overall top level executive review, if you will. So looking forward to your questions, Susan, back to you. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, what would ISO do? And it sounds like that might be the basis or the rationale for change for the 22 update. So can you give us a little background on, on how the, um, how how those changes that happened from ISO in the 2015 and the 2017 criteria that contributed to the 9104-122 changes? Yeah, let me give it a brief start, and I want to turn it over to Daryl to get a, a another perspective, if you will. But but it's you know we're all quality uh, minded professionals, right? And it's all about continual improvement, looking at existing criteria, looking at ways not to just write new requirements because it's a great idea. How do you improve certification? Well, through the International Accreditation Forum, they've looked over the years and they've looked for ways to improve, ways to improve uh, the calculation of audit duration, for example, with updates to the IAF Mandatory 5 document, uh, understanding certification structure, uh, IAF document MD1 talks about multi-site certifications and, and just a key change is, is acknowledging virtual sites, for example, in our new post-pandemic world, right? And then the ISO 17021-1 standard itself changed and created some additional uh, very strong criteria. So we didn't want to duplicate what was already in place, but we needed to align with those changes. And that's a key to this uh, major change to our standard. Daryl, anything you want to add to that? Tim, you're right on. The um, the whole point was really to leverage what's already in ISO. We, we were telling people when you go to evaluate this standard, you really need to sit down with 17021, 17011 as well, because those things we did not repeat. Uh, we were pretty adamant about not repeating. If you go back to the original version, the 2012 version of AS9104, there were a lot of redundancies in there to what was already established in ISO. We took all of those out. Uh, we made sure that we didn't want, we took ISO as our foundation. We're going to grow from that foundation. We're not going to change it. We're going to add to that foundation. And clearly, everything that we've done here builds on what was already built into 1721, 1711, even MD5, which is the audit duration calculation. Uh, we built on that. We went over and above, recognized we have a lot more shell statements to deal with. So it's got to be bigger than MD5, bigger than ISO. Uh, and we need incorporated all that. So that was the foundation of how we created this. Um, a lot of work went on in the front end uh, to understand exactly all those changes before we even started writing 9104. So it certainly is the foundation. Yeah. It's, it's, go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. Um, no, that's fine. I just want to also add, and it's really one of the things that we really identified when evaluating those ISO uh, criteria was our new OCAP tool, right? Organization Certification Analysis Process. We believe putting forth the effort up front 
with good planning, with utilizing the quality management system performance as input into that process, we'll get a better output. So uh, just an example why we're here today and that extra supplemental requirements, that OCAP tool is very key to success in our scheme. So you just took some words right out of my mouth because <laughs> I wanted to talk about some of these key changes and OCAP yeah. is is a big one. So before we go into that, because Dara, I really want to hear some of the details of how that came to be and what are some of the things that you can now, the features you can now do with OCAP, but what were some of the other changes just a top of mind of what you what you're seeing in in the new 9104-1. I would say one of the key things that we picked up on very quickly uh, was the fact that campus and several sites, that actually came up as a topic during our SWOT analysis. So if you recall what we did here, when in 2015, when we should have been thinking about rewriting this, or 2017, uh, we were tasked with going off and doing a SWOT analysis all over the world. I don't know how many analysis we did, but we had multiple meetings in Europe and Japan and all over America at multiple AAQG meetings and RMC meetings. We set aside time. And one of the things that came out of it was a total lack of confusion over campus certification and several site certification. So one of the key changes is we decided that we're not going to be different than the rest of the world. Everybody else deals with single site and multi-site. So we rolled this back to meet the ISO requirements. And that was a key requirement. That was a key change coming out of the previous version. One key change that came out of the previous version of 9104-1. So just to clarify that, the concept of campus is not retained in the new in this version, correct? Correct. You would find if you do the calculations, you'll find a campus calculation actually violated the rules of MD5. And we were hmm. just not going to be putting ourselves in a position as an industry. We've talked a lot already about how important meeting that ISO foundation is, uh, and we are building on it. Does it make sense that in an aerospace community with a whole bunch of additional shell statements that you would audit less time than you would if you were doing an ISO type audit. It just doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. And you're right. Campus, uh, several site, these were dropped and we we got back to the foundation of single site and multi-site. Yeah, it's all about leaning the standard and only sticking to those requirements, which enhance the value of certification. Just a couple other areas that we uh, addressed in the new standard, uh, one being is auditor rotation. Right. So it's important to us that we get a fresh set of eyes on a certified organization that just because of familiarity and getting auditing over and over again, the same processes. So we wanted to simplify the requirement, although it existed in the previous standard. We made a change to say count to six and you're out. Right. So we put a cap on the number of consecutive audits that an auditor can um, assess an organization. Right. So that was a key change as well. In addition, we addressed some of the accreditation body requirements and made sure that they made sense. They added value. Uh, one example of that is the, the file review requirements. You know, when you're doing assessments, uh, we looked at that and said, you know what, after you look at nine files, uh, is it really need to look at 14? You're not really going to gain value by doing four more. So we, we adjusted that. And then probably the The last significant change is I learned a long time ago in my career that if you're going to add requirements, uh, you also need to look at those organizations that step up 
and go above and beyond and perform. So we not only uh, made a change to say that when you're performing poorly, right, your risk is high, that there's a need to add audit duration, but there should be a reward if you're a high performing organization and you're low risk, right? So that would reduce your audit duration. And the last key change is that when you have an advanced quality management system. You use tools like the aerospace improvement maturity model to, to get above just the, the barely met, if you will, to the more exceeds type category. Uh, we have a performance-based uh, surveillance and recertification process, another acronym because we live in a world of acronyms called uh, PBSRP. And we're really proud of, of putting that together and actually getting approval from the International Accreditation Forum of that process before we published it. But uh, there's the carrot, if you will, high-performing QMS uh, organizations that step up and establish those controls and can demonstrate that, get a significant reward by having the eligibility to enter a PBSRP process. All key changes. Mm, so risk and reward really comes into play, and you see Absolutely. that a lot. Mm -hmm. Daryl, OCAP, obviously big change in, in here and in the introduction of that. It, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us the, that the process that comes into play with that, the concept behind it, um, how does it work? So one of the items that the uh, writing team became aware of immediately was the fact that when you think about auditing and you think about how we audit today, when you think about a certification auditor, what happens? They come in on a Monday, they audit all week, they go home on a Friday. On Monday morning, they're onto a new site, they're working all week and they're auditing. And when you think about good audit internal or certification body auditing, preparation is critical. Preparation to know exactly a little bit more about what you're going to. So you focus in the right areas. And we, this whole concept, which ISO began to better clarify, what is the difference between audit duration and audit time? Already talked about that. Audit duration is the opening close to closing meeting. And audit time includes that prep work and that, that additional time to do the proper reporting at the end. So we needed a tool to kind of promote that whole concept of get some information up front. Let's understand what the risks are for that auditor before they enter into that site. And that was part of the reason behind the tool. The tool itself actually has gone through probably four years of, uh, of development. It, I would do a little bit of work, come back, and then we tweak it. Then we get some changes, like we tweak it. So that that spreadsheet that's been out there is actually probably over four years now of uh, constant changes of algorithms and coding and things like that. And um, the one we're at today is is very well done. I think you'll find that it's uh, very user friendly at the front end, a lot easier than than the tool was when I was wrapping it up. But recognize there were a lot of people, a lot of reviews that that influenced that. And I can walk you through the tool. One of the first things we're asking right up front is what standards get flowed to contractually? Page one. And the point is for us as an auditor, that's good information to know. If I know I'm coming into a site and I know that your AS9102 got flowed to you contractually, I can check to make sure your first article process complies with that 9102 requirement. Uh, the the other side of this is we know as 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 the industry, you take that list of aerospace, aviation, space, and defense uh, standards that we've written, and if you were to look at that list later on, go nobody uses this one. Why are as an industry are we wasting our time with something that not, nobody's using it? Is there a better way to get it used? Are there other standards that they're using that are, are more applicable? Maybe we don't have to duplicate that effort. So. 
that first page is not only about setting the auditor on the right path, but it's also helping the industry to make sure work we are working on the right things. Then you move into that process. Then the next part of that is really the risk analysis. Uh, once you determine some of your audit audit, audit plan, you know, what does the site look like? Is it you know is it multi-site? Is it a single site? Then you go from there. Once you've figured that that information out, you go into the risk assessment. And the risk assessment has several different categories. I won't go through them all, but um, one of them is complexity. We leveraged MD5. There's a table in, in MD5 that talks about a complexity of an organization. So when you look at that particular chart, bottom left-hand side, you know, I, I don't have, I might be a single site, very simple processes. I'm going to be at low risk compared to somebody who's on the other extreme, which is a multi-site. They have design authority. They do everything. They have unique and special processes, and they're going to be high risk just because of the nature of the complexity of their organization. We talk a little bit about internal audit. Uh, in there, we've recognized that the internal audit program is a control point. And as a control point, if you've got a robust internal audit program, one that goes above and beyond, it's it's not risk-based. It's uh, You do a full QMS audit every year. You understand the numbers. Uh, you do additional auditing when that's required. You move your way up into that low-risk category. There's a whole section in there about organizational risks. So this is where the organization can actually define what does it mean for on-time delivery for that site and let them make that decision. They can look at their day. As an auditor, you can come along and look at it and go, okay, so you said on-time delivery is 80%, yet all your customers are saying 90% are better. That's an audit path to go down, but they can define their, their on-time delivery and they have to meet what the customer requirements are. Uh, what is their system for measuring customer satisfaction? What is their system for measuring quality performance? Those items are in the standard. We're not adding anything new, but we've incorporated this into the risk analysis tool. And um, and the last one is really looking at the past, you know, past performance on certification body audits. So if your pairs, if you look at the, we've kind of leveraged the, the risk cube that's in those pairs. Uh, and we're saying if you are scoring a one, which is very bad, you've probably got a major and you've got a non-existent system, that is like the weakest link. And that feeds into the risk tool. That's a little bit about, and then you get into audit duration. But yeah, there I really like the way you summarized that, and I think it's key and it's very important that we understand that we didn't add any new requirements to the quality management system, uh, but we wanted to take full advantage of of those processes which generate metrics, right, that can be reflective of the QMS performance, and use that to establish a, a more robust internal audit plan. You mentioned customer satisfaction. Right. So I think that's key as well, where we as stakeholders that utilize the certification process get that snapshot in time of how well our suppliers are performing. So all that's key to successful implementation. It's perfectly okay. I like the fact that what seems like is that we really are able to, to zone in and deliver a, a robust outcome based on some key features at, that are individual to each site yeah. and be able to address those and that preparation uh, to have a more seamless outcome. Yeah, and you're right, it's all about the site. It's all about the risk mm -hmm. at the site. And when you think about mm -hmm. what we're doing here, one thing I didn't say is if you're a high risk site, you're gonna get an automatic bump and the direction to the certification body is a minimum of a 10% increase 
because you're at high risk. And think about right. that. I'm not meeting my on-time delivery. I've got poor quality performance. My customers are not happy with me. As a certification body, they need to up their time to get in there and understand why and what's wrong. And are there non-compliances? And what, what portions of AS9100 are ineffective? So it's additional time. On the other side, though, if I'm low risk, I actually get a benefit. I get 10% reduction over and above everything else off of my audit duration. Uh, because I'm meeting all my requirements and I, I've got a high performing system, not even talking about PBSRP. That's just our, our normal process. And just says you can benefit by getting a 10% reduction. Hey, the other thing it stresses, I think we, we need to add is that involvement by the certified organization. Daryl will attest in the past, you know, that uh, scenario you said where the auditor audits Monday through Friday, then he's off to the next uh, client auditing and auditing. Well, what that drove was the standard boilerplate audit plans, if you will. But but back to the organization, as Daryl described, it's key that the organization be involved in that planning process, right? Uh, they have to submit the OCAP data to their certification bodies 90 days in advance of the audit, gives the certification body a chance to evaluate that data, but then through that involvement, uh, take ownership of it, right? This is not an effort to grab additional revenue by increasing audit duration, right? It's increasing audit duration when it's justified, right? It's not just increasing you know, because I added an extra standard to the matrix. So I encourage all those certified organizations out there, please work with your certification body, understand the process of how they evaluate that OCAP tool, get familiar with it so that as you're submitting that data up front, you understand going into the process how well your organization's performing and then stand behind it and challenge your certification body when they add audit duration and level set the expectation when risks are low, you need that reward and they should be reducing it. So it's going to be key that organizations begin to become more actively involved in planning for a successful audit. So how do they become actively involved? I mean, are, are, are there is there training available? What's the transition and the deployment? Can you talk about that time frame and that roadmap? Yeah, yeah. So we do have a comprehensive roadmap for transition. Okay. It starts by getting all the committees transitioned to adopt the standards. And I'm pleased to announce that that's already happened, right? So the structures around the globe have already transitioned their systems and processes ready to support the accreditation bodies. We have a number of accreditation bodies that have already transitioned. So they're already working with the certification bodies. And eventually the certification bodies will cascade that down. And uh, one of the key things is having trained and competent auditors to be able to utilize the process. So we just recently rolled out the uh, English version of the aerospace auditor uh, transition training, the Delta training. So all you auditors out there, uh, sharpen your pencils and uh, look forward to taking this uh, excellent training. Then eventually we got to start auditing to the new criteria. So that comes after the certification body has demonstrated they have the competent personnel and the scope of their accreditation is updated to include the latest standard. You should start seeing some of that activity uh, later this year, and certainly uh, as we move into 2024, uh, I will be the first to test that we are a very complex organizations with, I'll get the numbers wrong, but I think we have seven different languages that the IQG operates in. So you can imagine all the translation activities that have to occur to get that auditor training material out there. So some of the transition is based on that uh, language being done. But ultimately, to answer your question about how do organizations get involved? Well, guess what? They listen to Daryl, 
right? They listen to these podcasts. They go out to the website to our uh, requirements information. We're going to keep communicating that. We'll update it. We'll give you the latest. And that's how we intend to get organizations aware of these requirements through activities like we're doing today. Wonderful. Thank you. I think at the moment, that's where I am with with my questions. Are there any aspects, any features, any items that we didn't discuss about the changes brought by the 9104-1 or the, the OCAP tool that we didn't cover we want to address today? I would. There are two things in there I didn't touch on. Uh, if you're familiar with the old system, the only chance of reduction was if you were less design. We changed that. Uh, we actually, you could have a design house that does no manufacturing. You can now take a reduction for the fact that you're not doing manufacturing here, there. This is new. Purchasing used to have to be done in every single audit. But we've also recognized some of these multi-site, they don't have purchasing. They might be centralized. Uh, so it changed the whole set of rules around that. So the tool is set up, we, we went back to one table and we take reductions from a standard. And so you can take a reduction. I don't do purchasing here. Take a reduction for it. You couldn't do that before. I don't do manufacturing here. You can take a reduction for that. So we've broken that out. That's new. Uh, the other thing I'll just add is we've added a, a piece in the back uh, talking about time reallocation. And we've given them the opportunity to sit there and say, I have a high risk site or, and I have a low risk site. I might look at a low risk site and saying, we are wasting our time in that particular low, low risk site. And, and I want to actually spend more time in my high risk areas. We can reallocate time provided you don't break the rules of M MD5 and the table is set up to manage just that. You can't go below the time. You have to do the time, but you can reallocate it to sites that are, are of greater risk that you want to take a, take a good look at. Those are two things we didn't talk about. They are new. They're built into the tool. Good way to go. So. Yeah, so many of them, I do I have the opportunity to do a lot of training internally and as well as some external workshops, things like that. One of the things I always talk about is resources, right? Where do I go to get information? So I'd like to give a shout out to you, Susan, and your team has done a great job of updating the IQG websites and making sure that I've got a resource to go get information. So please, all of our stakeholders out there, especially the certified organizations that, let's face it, only think about certification once a year, right? Where do I go to get the information? Please bookmark the IQG homepage. And across the menu bar at the top, there's, a, there's an icon called certification. So I'd encourage all of you to go click on that, and you'll see a wealth of information, latest communication, and that's a resource for you. And I just would be remiss if I didn't mention that during this podcast. Well, thank you, Tim. And again, you're taking words out of my mouth. Perfect segue to make sure that everyone... Everyone pays attention to the IAQG.org website. IAQG is also on LinkedIn. If you are on that social media, do follow us and obviously uh, pay attention to all things on our podcast and the quality horizon. So again, uh, both of you, thank you so much for your time, Tim and Daryl. This has been informative. Uh, very much appreciative of your time discussing all of these changes and the OCAP tool. Best of luck with this transition and all the things that are going to be happening throughout the year with regards to this. This is Susan Matson, and you've been listening to the IAQG Quality Horizon. Until next time, stay safe all. Thank you for tuning in to the Quality Horizon, a product of the International Aerospace Quality Group. <laughs> <laughs>